0: Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This podcast explores all the things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, three years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Love Letters and Mixtapes. Today's episode is an exploration into something that many of us have faced, the impact of working in a toxic or abusive environment. We often find ourselves on an internal and external journey in pursuit of that ideal job. And it's more than just a paycheck. It becomes part of our identity, a reflection of who we are and the benefits that come with it and the desire to maintain it, can lead us down some unexpected paths. But what happens when we begin noticing red flags in our workplace? Maybe we begin talking ourselves out of those gut feelings and second-guessing our instincts. Maybe we compare ourselves to others who might have it worse, And we shame ourselves for having a reaction or some kind of insight into what we are experiencing. Maybe we even make lifestyle adjustments to accommodate our new reality, thinking it's just a phase. If I can just get through this day, week, month, season, chapter, maybe this will pass. Until we realize it is not a phase. And then comes the breaking point. And what does that feel like? What goes through our minds? How does our body respond? What story do we tell ourselves about the decisions we're making? And this is where the internal and external conflicts collide. And that begins to impact our self-perception and our fears about resources and future opportunities. So today, we are diving deep into the isolation of toxic work environments, and the silent struggle that many of us face, but so few of us talk about openly. And we're going to explore the impact on our physical, mental, emotional, and financial health. I recently came across someone on social media who spoke about this topic in such a clear and powerful way. And not only did she take time to share about her own experiences and her thought process, her responses to what she was navigating, but she also took time to affirm everyone else's experiences. Because for so many of us, this is isolating. And we don't feel like we can talk about this with the people in our lives. We don't feel like we can go to HR. We're embarrassed to bring this up with our friends. So... To have the opportunity to share with someone who's connecting with such empathy and offering really helpful tools to recover and navigate these situations, I thought that that was so amazing and I am so grateful that Chrissy is joining us today as we explore this topic of toxic and abusive workplaces and what we can do about it. Welcome to the Love Letters and Mixtapes podcast, Chrissy.
1: Thank you so much, Casey. I am really excited to be here to talk to you, and I just think this topic is really important, so I'm excited to chat about it.
0: I would love for you to start off by telling us a little bit about who you are before we begin exploring our topic today. Maybe tell us about the personal journey that you've been on. I've been in marketing for 13 years. I
1: worked all throughout college and I actually went back to school in 2016 and got a master's degree in psychology. And people always say, why? That has nothing to do with marketing. But to me, I really wanted to understand human behavior a little bit more. And I think there's a little part of myself where I wanted to keep understanding myself more. Right now I work in marketing, but the personal journey that I'm on and I've been on, is genuinely how to love myself more. I dealt with a lot of external validation, seeking external validation for most of my life. And that obviously correlates into workplace so much. So right now, I'm really on this journey to figure out how to be my own best friend.
0: I love that. I'm sure so many of us can resonate with that. And the topic today is work trauma and abusive work spaces. And our experience of that, what we can do about it. So I would love if you could share a little bit about what a toxic work environment is. What does work trauma feel like? Because I think it's pretty isolating when we're going through it and we're not hearing the stories from other people that we can relate to. The thing that I'm going to say is trauma
1: is going to be everyone's own definition of big T and little T trauma. So I'm not here to tell you what your trauma is. I know what I've experienced in my life has caused me to be sensitive about certain areas. I do not do well with yelling. I do not do well with screaming. I know this. That is a hard boundary for me. And unfortunately I had to learn that that's a boundary I had to learn in workplaces too. So When I give the definition of a toxic workplace, we can obviously bring in the legalities of what is legal and not legal, but there are going to be boundaries each person is going to create for themselves. Technically, yelling at someone and screaming at someone is not illegal. However, that is a hard boundary that I've created, but I will not be in a workplace that allows that. So toxic for me is going to be anything that constantly triggers you. I'm going to say it's the repetition of triggering. You know, I've had a boss that would constantly slam my door open and slam my door cars. And it really felt like a psychological warfare situation, almost to the point where I wondered if they wanted to constantly spike my heart rate, keep me in a fight or flight situation. And I'm giving them too much credit because I know they didn't think through it that way, but it was really a power move. And there's all of these subliminal power moves that go on throughout the day. Make notes of those things that are going on so you are able to validate yourself when you are in those toxic workplaces. If I went to my boss and said, every time you slam my door, I really don't like it. I'm not going to get the reaction or the response I'm going to want from them because they're going to invalidate me and or gaslight. And so really, really in these toxic workplaces, I want you guys to be able to validate yourselves. And through that is taking notes, writing down things that don't align with you. For me, the feeling of triggered in my body is it feels like someone's squeezing my gut. So I feel it in my gut the most. And so I know something in my gut isn't sitting right. Let me journal about this. And I write it down for two reasons. One, so I can reflect on it. But the second one is so I can get it out of my body. I don't want to harbor it. I don't want to hold it. To go full circle there, I think the toxic workplace is something that constantly triggers you over and over and over again with invalidation and gaslighting.
0: That was such a great example, and I think that is going to be so helpful for people listening who can't quite put their finger on, what is it about this? And I want to touch on something you said. You're talking about the experience in the body, and I think that that's very interesting because so often that is invalidated, whether it's the outside world or whether it's us, and we try to shut that off, but it's actually very telling. I've been in very toxic work environments that were actually pretty abusive, and everyone I worked with would talk about the physical reaction their body was having, and they were ashamed of it. They would think, what's wrong with me? But our bodies are such good informants, and we try to push that information away. So can you touch on that just a little bit more about what that's been like for you or the conversations you're having with people about listening to their bodies?
1: Yeah, that's a really good, good follow-up. So a lot of times I've found, especially myself, we have to push away the feelings in order to go into a logical mindset. We have a logical side of us and we have an emotional side of us. And so when we are in a workplace and we are being triggered and we are dealing with a level of abuse or toxicity, the natural reaction to push that down and to persevere is so normal. So I actually really suggest more of a somatic therapy approach. It's about breathing, being calm, sitting with the feelings. And I know when I say that, I used to hate when people told me that, okay? So it took me years to be able to sit with my feelings. You guys, that song, She's a Runner, She's a Track Star." If I felt something, I was gone. Bye. You know, I said, logical, logic is safe. Logic is A plus B equals C. I know logic but I felt a feeling and I didn't know how to hear it. So I ran from it. I would do 7 million chats. I would take on more projects. So pausing is the first step. Not gaslighting myself is the second step. Ooh, I feel something. Okay, I feel something. I know my feelings are valid because I feel. I do not ever argue with someone or tell them they cannot feel something. You're allowed to feel whatever you want. We're not arguing about your feelings or my feelings because both are valid because both people are feeling them. We could argue about the situation at hand and how our perception of it is different. But I'm not telling you you cannot feel a certain way because you are in charge of how you feel and I'm in charge of how I feel. So the second step being don't invalidate yourself. And the third step is I explain emotions and feelings as a wave. Let it crash over you. It will pass through. Try not to be scared of it. But we want the feeling to come in the body and then leave the body. So actually visualize a wave coming over me and washing all the way through down to my tippy toes. And I really try not to say, I am, insert feeling, I am anxious, I am depressed. I try to f- say, I am feeling anxious. I am feeling depressed so that I know that I don't have to stay in that feeling and that feeling doesn't have to be a part of my identity, but it could just be a part of the day that I was feeling. Today, I was feeling really anxious and I don't know why. And that's okay that I don't know why, but I'm really aware that I was feeling anxious today. In terms of trying to decipher that toxic workplace, the first thing that I want you to do is really practice not invalidating yourself, giving yourself almost the same respect and love that you would give a friend. And that's the easiest piece of advice that I say is you would never tell your friend you're being dramatic or... I mean, that sounds like you're being sensitive. Why do we speak to ourselves like that in our head? And so try that first step being just cause and to validate you trust yourself and know that you're feeling something.
0: I know that when we're in those experiences, we can almost say to ourselves, well, that's really obvious, but it's the first thing we stop doing. And I love how much awareness you brought to that, to even the running away from it. And those little practices of allowing that wave to come over, sort of that visualization that you offered is so important. And the more often we practice that on a regular basis and not just in crisis moments, the better prepared we are in those crisis moments because we're bringing presence and awareness to what's actually happening. So on this podcast, we actually talk a lot about the experience of adult children people who have experienced childhoods where they were not allowed to, let's just say, be the age that they were. And in those situations, very often we have to accommodate the trauma in our lives. So I would love to talk to you about maybe some of the things that you might have done in the past or you're hearing others share about where they've had to make accommodations in their life to make room for this growing trauma that's happening in one area of their lives. And what that looks like in the moment, what we're telling ourselves we're doing, and what it feels like when you look back on it, when you have some distance, whether it's two years, 10 years, and you're saying, why did I make all of those changes to accommodate this expanding trauma? I love that question. So something that I want to talk
1: about that is incredibly taboo and also really vulnerable, but, you know, it's 2024 and we're no longer shaming this, is getting on medication. And I know we don't talk about it. And the thing is that I felt so much shame about being on medication. And I know we do this analogy where if someone broke their arm, I would not berate them for going to the hospital. I have been an anxious person my whole life. We can break down the nature versus nurture. As a young child, I did have to step into a parenting role. So from a nature nurture perspective, I was kind of put in this control at a very young age when I really should have been living more of a childhood perspective, but that's okay. And I love my parents for the life they gave me. And I also understand that it might not have been the best outcome and that's okay. But I didn't get on anxiety medication until I was 28 years old. And it took me to the precipice of having suicidal ideations and I confided in my business partner at the time, and he said, I really think you need to go get on medication. I'm like, I can't get on medication. What will people think about me? And that sentence, What will people think about me, has driven my entire life. And it was a hard process to let go of that. But medication has helped me so incredibly much. My brain sounded like I was in a coffee shop at all times, just constant chatter. And getting on anxiety medication was the first time that I said, "This just normal people feel in their brain, because this is amazing. I can actually follow through with my thoughts and decipher them better. And the crazy thing is that I did achieve a level of success all the way up until I got on medication. But my overall or generalized happiness was so much better once I got on that medication. But I still had partners that shamed me. I still had coworkers that shamed me for getting on that medication. And so it's 2024, and we are no longer shaming ourselves for doing things that are going to be best for ourselves and our body. So outside of the medication aspect, therapy, honestly, therapy has been my best friend my suggestion is to do your due diligence with your therapist they have to align with you so i'm part of the lgbtq plus community i ended up seeking therapy online which was 2018 so that's like a little before you know everyone was doing that and i really had to find someone that aligned with my core beliefs because again i found myself in this scenario where i wanted my therapist to like me i cared what my therapist thought about me and i had to pull back and say well no, 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 no. I'm not here to impress her. I want to learn with her about why I'm doing these things. And I really had to catch myself in those moments. And so outside of therapy and meditation, journaling would be the other biggest, biggest thing. And it helped me so much because I would go back and read my journal. But also if I needed a moment of gratitude for myself, I would go back and read even just how much I've grown in three months and my thought process in three months when I would think, wow, I am so proud of myself for just what I journaled three months ago, to how I'm feeling about it now. So I would say those three things really helped me with accommodating that big T and little T trauma, the trauma that you are handed to and not chosen to kind of the with you and the trauma that. You're also putting yourself through it, right? So both of those things.
0: That was incredibly helpful. And I'm so appreciative of you sharing with so much transparency because one of the things we say on this podcast all the time is you are not alone. Someone else has gone through what you're going through before you. And the issue is not that you're going through it, but that we haven't shared about it. We haven't talked about it. We haven't shown you the way out of where you are right now. An interesting experience in trauma that really we don't often talk about is the aftermath, because there's almost this belief that you're in a situation, you're in a dynamic, and once you remove the stimulus, whether it's a person or an experience, that everything goes back to normal, everything's fine. But as many of the listeners of this podcast are well aware, after trauma, we are left with these thoughts, these feelings a shift inside of ourselves that we have to deal with. So the aftermath can almost be more challenging because we are not in that fight or flight mode of dealing with that consistent trigger every day. We are left with ourselves. So I would love if you could talk a little bit about the aftermath of some of the experiences you've had or what you're hearing people share about online. What is that aftermath of toxic situations or abusive work environments? What does that feel like? I want to give an analogy here. If you
1: go to the gym and then you don't go to the gym for two days, your body's going to feel sore, right? There's not really an understanding that you're going to go work out really hard and then not feel anything afterwards. When there's something with the physical that we don't actually ever compare to the mental, so when you are in a traumatic workplace and you go in every day and you are in fight or flight and you are living in a fight or flight, someone drops a pin when you reaction as if you heard a gun go off, right? There is going to be an aftermath. And you think, oh, when I quit, it'll be so much better. But when I quit that toxic workplace, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm all alone. I'm all alone with my really scary thoughts. And I didn't know what to do with them. So That lecture math for me was actually the most incredible lack of trust in myself and lack of trusting my capabilities in my job. So I'll start with the lack of trust. The lack of trust was I was actually shaming myself. Like, how could I not foresee that this workplace was toxic? Why didn't I stand up for myself? Why didn't I yell back? How could I not know? that this was going to happen, right? All things that you as listeners are probably saying, well, of course you wouldn't know. But the shame that I put on myself to be perfect because if I was perfect, then I would have known, I would have been able to actually read these minds and I would have been able to actually read the future and know this was going to be horrible. Okay, well, of course, Chrissy, you weren't going to know that, right? And so Right after I left that workplace, I had to deal with the toxicity just left in my body. And then outside of that was the physical responses. I could not sleep. I could not get into REM sleep. I was stuck in fight or flight. I was stuck in sympathetic mode, which is like running from a bear. And the thought of even meditating, you know, if someone's like, just go meditate. And it's like, okay, girl, I can't sit for five minutes alone with my head. What do you mean? These thoughts are crazy. It was like I regressed all the way again back to where I was in 2018. The regression comes with shame. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm back where I started. I worked so hard to get away from that. So I dealt with that. And then on the other side of things was the feeling that I was so incapable of actually doing my job. And I thought these bosses, they told me that it was horrible, that I was not worth what I was being paid. It was a mistake hiring me in mind, I had noted and emailed every great thing that I did for that company and I was able to actually see success and, and measured success in whatever KPI was measured. So technically that is false, but still hearing it from someone that's above you, it hits deep. And so when I quit that job where I dealt with such a lack of self-confidence in my capabilities to do my job. I mean, I doubled down on external validation and it actually took me freelancing to kind of refigure out how to believe in myself again. A lot of what I do for marketing is that I need to show people that I'm confident in what I am bringing to the table, whether that's a strategy or an execution or anything. One of the things that I did to help that was I actually just went back and did some courses. I mean, I did a director's marketing course through Google. I got down on Coursera, I did some Google courses. I mean, I just went back to school in a sense and I was like, I'm gonna learn. But also it was a sense of I'm gonna learn so I never make that mistake again. Of course, I'm probably gonna feel like that again and I'm gonna feel a lack of self-confidence, especially if, you know whatever time of the month it is, right? Like it's okay to feel that, but in that instance, I didn't actually have myself to fall back on because I didn't believe in myself.
0: I want to touch on something you mentioned because I hear it in so many of the topics we cover on this podcast. And the phrase I often use is playing emotional chess. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we often do when we are growing up or even later in life, we experience really uncertain environments where things are very out of our control. Maybe we don't have the resources we need. Maybe we don't have the agency we would like to have. Maybe for some of us, we were so young that we didn't even have the language or the experience to reflect on. And very often what can happen is you start to try to exert control over other things. And you can be really tough on yourself and say, well, if I had just paid more attention and I had just watched that and I had just listen to how everyone breathed when they entered the room, I would have been able to know when that thing was about to happen and I would have prevented that. And I'm sharing that not to make fun of us because I am the first one to say that that is an experience I had for most of my life, but to affirm that is what's going on. And we have to bring some awareness to it before we can learn to do something else Otherwise, we stay in that cycle. We beat ourselves up for not being psychic, for not being able to know what that other person is thinking about us and what we're doing and and trying to play chess. So I did want to touch on that for a second. One, to say thank you for mentioning it. And two, that it happens in a lot of these situations. But the other part of that is how we can treat ourselves When we are doing that playback and we are reviewing everything and we're saying, why didn't I see those red flags? Why didn't I do something? Oh, look at that, that came up. I should have known better. I want to pause there for a second and talk about the red flags without punishing ourselves, but more so talking about the process of talking ourselves out of it in the moment. I shared something with a person I work with and I said, You know, we'll see red flags in any given situation, and instead of maybe taking a note and doing something, we're going to sit there and stare at them and try to decipher which color red they are. And that's not really where our energy needs to be. It's not really benefiting us, but it's very natural. I would love to just check in with you now that you have a little distance How can you be a little maybe gentler or more forgiving with yourself when you are doing that inventory and reflecting on all of the things you missed? Is there something you would say to yourself today that maybe you weren't capable of saying to yourself in the moment? That's a really good exercise
1: to picture the person that you were in that moment. Give them the space and forgiveness that no one else is going to give you. And no one else is going to give you because... Again, when we're seeking that in someone else, we're putting our worthiness or our, our safety or our support in someone else. But really we have to give ourselves that. And so I did that exact exercise as I pictured myself three years ago. You know, I was 30 years old. I bought all these new outfits. we so excited to go into the office every day. I decorated my office and I, I just wanted to bring my best self every day. And so when they berated me and they beat me down, I just wanted to try harder, and I wanted to earn it more. When I had this belief that respect is earned, love is earned, decency is earned, what I would say to myself is that I am worthy of respect for existing. I am worthy of love for existing. I am worthy of decency for existing. And when you're seeking externally for those things, how you feel about yourself is always going to be put in the hands of someone else. If anyone is making you earn self-respect, it is not someone we want to be managing how we feel about ourselves. So I would say to myself that I love you, I see you. Everything that happened to you is valid and it is not fair and it was not fair. And I'm sorry that you felt you had to stay so long in order to prove something to those people that never mattered in the first place.
0: I think so many of us need to hear that, and I'm so grateful that you shared it because sometimes we're not in a place where we can tell ourselves that, and it does sound different when we hear it from someone else, which is why it's so important to have these conversations. So I love that we've talked a little bit about sort of the aftermath and reflecting, but I would like to touch on those breaking points because we've all been on that precipice of change where we were like, I feel like I have to do it. Almost feels like you're about to throw up, like something has to happen. That's usually when we're the most alone, right? Because we're in a situation, we have to make a decision. And all of these stories start going through our minds. It's very natural. I think it happens to all of us. And so what is the story we tell ourselves when we're about to make the decision when we have reached our breaking point? What voice are we talking to ourselves in? And what are we saying about who we are, our capability, our future opportunities, what's going to happen? All of those fears that come up. It's almost the pre-shame. Like, I'm ready to shame you for what you're about to do. I'm ready for what you're about to do. Can you bring us back to that moment in your own life and some of the feedback you're hearing online, that moment of change, that breaking point? What does that feel like? What are the thoughts going through your head? What are you reflecting on when you think about it now?
1: Yeah, that breaking point. So for me, it came to a breaking point where my body was not allowing me to function every day. So I went to the hospital twice during this workplace and I kept chalking it up to female problems, right? Because who knows what's going on down there? Not the ER doctors, I'll tell you that. And so. I went to the hospital twice. I would throw up multiple times. I would disassociate driving to work from the amount of anger that I was feeling. So for me, the breaking point was I would meet with my therapist weekly, if not biweekly about this workplace. And he said, okay, every day before you walk into that workplace, you need to put on a coat of armor, metaphorically. And I would picture myself putting on the Wonder Woman armor, right? I'm strong, I'm capable. We booked at Wonder Woman and we're like, she is so badass, you know, she can take on anyone. And I would picture myself literally armoring up like Iron Man, to walk into this office just to deal with the unsangible, just to deal with the feelings of tension that, that I felt every single day. And I couldn't sleep because I was just so distraught about what tomorrow was gonna bring. And the level of chaos and uncertainty that was going to be there. And so I remember I had just finished a the therapy session and I said to my therapist, I said, I'm going to do it. And she said, Okay, you know, I support whatever you think is best. And I said, Okay. And I put the resignation letter in. The best part is I didn't even get a response, you guys. And so, of course, I couldn't sleep that day. But that next morning, I, I wore my best outfit. I wore red, you know, as my power color. And I walked in there and I started packing up and the breaking point for me ended up being physical. My blood pressure was high. I could not sustain a life that I wanted to live. I wasn't working out. I was so stressed out out of my mind. I was so nauseous all the time because I had gaslit my logical feelings so much. It had to surface in my body for me to actually be able to stop and say, whoa, what's happening here? That, unfortunately, was my breaking point looking back and for everyone that is in this position, you know, my only hope is that you don't let it get to that point. There was an entire roller coaster I had to go through, right? I had just bought a townhouse in Los Angeles because I thought that I was checking off a box on what is the tech box of success. Okay. I got the vice president role. I got a townhouse. Next thing I do, I need to buy a fancy car. And it took you know, my entire life crumbling down from my dream job ending up being a nightmare for me to realize that those things that I was doing was for again outside validation. Right. To be honest, I regret buying my town home three years later. I love it. It provided me a price of space. I'm going to make the best decisions now that I have it, but I did not do it for the right reasons. And so part of that choice was the financial risk. I had saved up enough money to know if I could not get an immediate next job, that I was going to be okay while figuring it out. You know, there's so many layers of leaving that toxic workplace. I knew that I was going to be financially okay for at least three months. I could have hired a headhunter if I wanted to. I knew that I trusted myself to look for a job. I will go and do anything that I need to in order to support the lifestyle that I want. But what I realized from that breaking point was, whoa, what lifestyle do I actually want? I might not want the lifestyle that I thought I wanted that society told me I needed to have. The shiny corner office that's on the 30th floor where I answer phone calls at midnight and I wake up at 7 a.m. and do the Peloton. And I looked up to those women in movies that were so isolated and alone, but you know what they were? They were damn powerful. And I never saw a future where I could be both, where I could be warm and powerful. And so I neglected that part of myself. I was warm and sympathetic for so long until I had that breaking point. And I realized that I actually don't want that life. I am actually living in a van right now, you guys. I'm actually recording this podcast in a van I bought. It's a Winnebago and I'm traveling the United States and I'm freelancing. But every single day I feel a level of gratitude to where I could cry because I'm so grateful Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: I am so glad you shared all of that. And one of the things that really stood out to me was the very realistic discussion about finances, because so often I hear these discussions in social media, and I think part of the reason they don't always resonate for me is because I've always had very profound fears of deprivation. It is something that is all-consuming, and it really doesn't matter what's happening in my actual world or what's in my actual bank account. It's just a permanent fear that I have. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, where they're scared that they don't have enough, they won't get enough, or they're going to lose what they have. And so when we're talking about toxic work environments or making the decision to leave, it's very easy to say, just pick up and go. And for so many of us, that's not the reality. And it's very helpful to hear someone affirm that and to hear what you actually did, which was to make sure that you had three months in the bank account, that you could look for another job, you could do something in the meantime that maybe wasn't the permanent thing. It's not the ideal role forever, but you could make do. And I've been in similar situations and I do not regret it, but I would be failing everyone if I didn't tell you that. While I was relieved leaving the work environment, I was also terrified at the same time that I was giving up the benefits, I was giving up the salary, I was giving up the title and who would I be left with? I think I have a good sense of self, but you can get used to those things pretty quickly, especially if there's a trigger there every single day and you're having a trauma bond to this job that you have and then you make the decision to leave. So thank you so much for bringing that up. I think we do need to have more frank and realistic discussions about financial trauma and what that means for us and how it impacts our decisions. I actually think money's very emotional. I say that on this podcast all the time, but I don't know if anyone else agrees with me. I feel like it is. So thank you for talking about that. And so speaking of social media and the different approaches to this particular topic, I'd love to hear some of the negative feedback and some of the pushback or, you know, those antagonistic comments you get from people who say something along the lines of, that's just how work is, toughen up, this generation doesn't understand, I did it, everyone else did it, why can't you do it? I think some of us have that internal voice anyway. And so as we're trying to move through these situations and make healthy decisions and model healthy behavior for other people who are looking at us. How do we navigate that sea of voices? What are you hearing? And how does it feel for you now that you've had some distance from those types of work environments?
1: Yeah. One of the things that I asked myself was, are you ready for the backlash of this? I had to be ready. And what ready to me means that I trusted myself so wholeheartedly And I was no longer gaslighting myself about what the experience that I went through. So the comments that I got were, you're just being dramatic. Typical woman can't handle a workplace. Wow, if you were a VP, I would have just shut up and kept working. And it's really funny because I want to say, hey, you guys, uh, my inner critic is worse than all of you. I'm the meanest person to myself. You don't need to jump in here. We're good. And so... I needed to know that I was okay getting those those negative comments. But I can tell you that the level of positivity that I got, I mean, it brought me to tears almost every time. The women, and even the men that were commenting and telling me how much my story resonated with them. I was getting personal messages stating that this workplace was harming this lady so much she considered suicide. And I realized this needs to be talked about we need to discuss this because we cannot continue working in these places that are pushing us to consider not living anymore. And when I talk about this topic, I always caveat everything where I know the voice of happiness is a privilege. I know that so much. And I was privileged enough to choose to walk away because people comment. They say, well, I have a family. I can't do this. And my response is, I hear you and I see you. And that must be really hard. And I don't have an answer for you because I don't know how you live your life and I don't know your financial choices. But I know and I'm grateful for the fact that it was a privilege that I could walk away, that I walked away with my life, that I walked away and I was able to save up enough in case something went wrong. The positivity of posting on social media outweighed the negativity. And the funny thing about the negativity is it is all thoughts I already had in my head. So no one said in his that I hadn't had already thought for myself during that time while I was gaslighting myself. To be honest, the negativity, I normally would respond back or I would actually stitch it and create a video with it. And I would use it as an opportunity to wish happiness upon this person. You know, this, this woman commented and said, this is the big leap get used to it, snowflake. And I responded with a video and I said, I'm really sorry if you have never received a level of empathy in your job. And I hope that you are able to experience that one day. And that's it. Because I'm not arguing about my worth with this person. I'm not arguing about whether most of my story is valid. I know my story is valid. So when I get the negativity, all I do is just, I hope that they are able to receive a level of empathy.
0: I think everything you shared has been so helpful. And I know that there have been so many times in my life when I needed to have this conversation. I needed to hear people talking about this and I needed to hear their reality. So as we're wrapping up, I would like to hear from you what you would have told yourself the night before the last big change you made from a toxic work environment. What is that talk you would have had with yourself? Knowing everything you know now, having so much distance, having the experience processing it as you have, what is that love letter to yourself that you wish you could have magically had that night before?
1: I would have told myself that I trust that I know what's best for me. No one else can know what's best for me, but I trust that I know what's best for me and that I believe me and that I see me and that everything I'm going through is valid and that in the end, it will be okay. Even if I change my definition of what okay is, it's going to be okay.
0: That is so powerful, so beautiful. And I'm sure that somebody listening needs to hear that right now. So thank you for sharing that. Where can people find you? Where can they hear more about what you're talking about, more about what you're doing? I'll absolutely put links in the show notes, but tell us a little bit about what you're working on and where we can hear from you. Yeah,
1: so... I'm really excited because I am working on a podcast and it's going to be called Glass Ceilings. The goal is that we can continue to shatter those glass ceilings. So you can find me on TikTok, Glass Ceilings Podcast. And I also have another TikTok and it's named Work Trauma is Real. And my goal with both the podcast and the TikTok is just to continue talking about toxic workplaces and how we can help and support each other in those workplaces.
0: Thank you so much for being with us, Chrissy. I'm taking so much out of this conversation. And to everyone listening, I would just say, trust your instincts. Don't compromise your well-being for the sake of a job. There is strength in seeking change, even when it seems daunting. Your experiences matter, and your well-being is non-negotiable. Until next time, please make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Maybe take a moment to like, rate, or review this podcast. And thank you again for listening to Love Letters and Mixtapes.